Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. directors here at Contrast, and I have the pleasure of getting to hang out and teach you guys this morning. This video is so funny to me. It always reminds me of when I was in college. I worked at a summer camp in northern Ohio. Joel Trainer from Three Creeks actually was my boss, and um, we did a skit every week called Kickin' Stuff, and I don't think you have to use your imagination very much to know what that meant. Literally, our guy counselors would come up on stage and they would just kick things. So furniture, watermelons, old toilets, each other. It was, it would rile our middle schoolers up into like a frenzy. My friend who was one of the counselors said that he had never felt like he had so much power over a group of individuals than he did during kick and stuff. He said, I could have led those middle schoolers to revolution. So... Just a little funny thing that that always reminds me of. Anyways, happy to be here with you guys this morning. My husband, Adam, and I moved here a little over a year ago from that place up north or that state up north. I can't remember what you guys call it. Michigan is where we came from. We moved down here specifically to be a part of this community, and we love it. I love teaching. Always thankful to get an opportunity to get to hang out with you guys on a Sunday morning. I feel so lucky to be in a community that also cares about what a 2,000-year-old book has to say for our lives now in 2023. And I feel extra thankful to have a cool book like James to walk through with you guys. Um, my friend Adam preached last week, and he did a phenomenal job. If you guys haven't listened to the podcast yet, I would highly recommend it. One of the best words I've heard maybe ever about just the power of our words and how what we say or don't say yeah, what we say or don't say, how that matters and can really carry a lot of weight. Um, but I didn't tell him that because I'm spicy at him because he stole my intro last week. So what we were talking about was just how James is kind of a funny book sometimes to teach on because it is so practical. You feel like you guys are adults. Like Sarah read the passage. You can read that and say, oh, yeah, okay, like I should be pursuing godly wisdom. I should not be pursuing earthly wisdom. There it is. But talking to Trey... I kind of, he helped me realize that that's the cool opportunity that we have when we study the book of James is that it gives us the opportunity to look at it practically in our lives. What does this passage that maybe doesn't, we don't need to dig like really into the text. There's not like a ton of hidden meaning. James was pretty explicit with when he was writing this book to the church. This is what faith looks like practically. And so we can dive into it in that way. And what does it look like in my life? Where, how do I see this passage come to life as a 32-year-old who lives in America in 2023? And this passage is kind of funny because it, it does get stranded in between a bunch of big passages that gets, get quoted all the time. I have read James dozens of times probably in my walk as a believer, and I could have never told you that this little passage was in here. I could have told you, James talks about taming the tongue. James talks about works versus faith. James talks about let your yes mean yes. But if someone had said to me, James also talks about how wisdom creates peaceful fruit, I would have been like, 
are you sure about that? So it was cool that I got to, I got to learn also as I was preparing this this morning. Um, so I'm gonna take a slightly different approach to my teaching than I normally do. And we're gonna go deep, but hopefully in a way that allows you to see this text in the context of your everyday life. Because that's one of my favorite things about the book of James is that really he's answering the question, what does faith look like? In my life, what does it look like to walk out a faithful life as a follower of Jesus? And I think sometimes we ask the question, why, why doesn't the Bible just explicitly tell us what to do? James is the answer to that. James really does explicitly tell us what to do. He gives us practical application for ways that we can walk out our belief and our faith in Jesus. In its simplest form, James is really about living an integrated life. We have our actions and we want them to be consistent with the values and beliefs that we've received from Jesus. We wanna put these two things together. And you don't get to pick and choose which things that you believe or which parts of Jesus you follow. We commit to this whole life when we decide to follow Jesus. And most of us live as really fractured people. We have big inconsistencies in our character. We are far more compromised than we ever care to admit. And if you haven't come to a place where you are aware of just how bad this is in your daily life, one foolproof way to bring attention to this is to have a child. Preferably an oldest child, uh, because they will call you out on every single inconsistent thing you have done forever. Uh, most of you have met my oldest, he's six, his name's Milo, and he has never one single time forgotten anything that I have said ever. For example, the other night, uh, our youngest, Elliot, he's four, was really struggling at bedtime. He was willfully disobeying, driving his brother nuts, just really struggling with his sin nature in a very obvious way. So finally it got to the point where I said, okay, Elliot, you're gonna have to have a consequence. Uh, your dad and I are gonna talk about it and we'll figure out what is fair and we'll talk to you about it in the morning. Elliot suggested that we turn off the hall light and let him sleep in darkness. That was his <laughs> suggestion for a consequence. Um, yeah. So what do you think happened? Obviously Adam and I completely forgot I walked out of their room and we never talked about it. Um, but guess who did not forget? <laughs> Milo, he did not forget. Um, so the next afternoon he comes to me and he says, mom, did Elliot get his consequence? And I, now I'm at a crossroads of parenting here, guys. Um, we have a parenting rule, Adam and I, that we do not choose to fight every battle with our kids, but the battles that we do choose to fight, we win them. And add that to the fact that our authority with this particular oldest child is always hanging by a thread because he is very um, justice focused, he's very observant, and Adam and I try to make a habit of admitting when we're wrong or we don't know something, which I think has led him to wonder if we actually know anything. So instead of admitting that I did not give Elliot a consequence, I said, yeah, he had a timeout. I know, not my finest parenting moment, but I'm up here telling you guys the truth, so hopefully you can all do better with your own children. But Milo was not satisfied with that answer, so he said, when? When did he have a timeout? So I proceeded to double down on my lie with earlier today, don't worry about it to which he just looks straight into my soul, as if you've ever met Milo, you know he does this. 
nods his head, like justice has been served up to his standards, and goes off to play with his Legos. All that to say, if you think you're not inconsistent in your character, you're welcome to borrow my kid for an afternoon, and I'm sure he'll help you out with that. But that's what's so cool about this particular passage, and really the whole book of James in general, is that it highlights how God is on this redemptive mission to restore us from these broken, inconsistent lives back to wholeness, which was what is his plan for us. Um, and this passage of James really gives us a picture of that wholeness and what that can look like. Even here in a fallen world, the whole process begins with wisdom. So what is wisdom? I think we can define this a lot of different ways, and James is really trying to highlight the difference between what is godly wisdom, this wisdom from above is what he calls it, versus what is earthly wisdom. So we're going to say that godly wisdom is the ability to see hardships through a new perspective, and then choosing to believe that God is good despite my circumstances. If you can view your circumstances, good or bad, as a gift, something that gives you the opportunity to develop character, then you're walking down a path of wisdom that really can only lead to peace. We're when we're able to live our lives through this lens of godly wisdom, we're able to fight against how the world is telling us to look at things and to look at it through the way that James is telling us to look at it, then really the only outcome is peace. Like we can only, the end of that road only leads to fruitful, peaceful, fulfilled lives in the Lord. And James is trying to show us, he's trying to contrast that, hey, worldly wisdom produces this one set of outcomes, right? Jealousy, selfishness, disorder, things that we experience all the time in our everyday lives and sometimes have a really hard time fighting against or understanding where the root of those come from. But then he's also showing us that this isn't our only option. If we can choose to do the work to be able to see our lives and our circumstances through godly wisdom, then we can we have access to peace, mercy, righteousness, all these other cool things that God offers us. Why is this important? Everything that we're doing in our life, good, bad, big decisions, small decisions, is shaping our character. And I don't know, I don't say that to put a lot of pressure on you or to make you question every decision you've ever made, ever. I'm an Enneagram One, if you know what that means, so you just know I'm never putting more pressure on other people than I'm putting on myself. Um, but I just want to highlight the weight of some of the decisions that we make. I think that as Christians, all decisions that we're making carry weight and make us more or less like Jesus. It's really hard, I think, to really truly stand still in your faith. I think everything that you're doing is either making you more or less like Jesus. And this is a lifelong thing, right? We walk out our faith hopefully for decades, and sometimes we take a lot of steps towards being more like Jesus, and sometimes we take a lot of steps away and look less like Jesus, or more often than not, it probably feels like a very slow two steps forward, one step back with our decisions. And the way we make these steps is how, is in the decisions that we make, the things we value, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, and those things all carry weight. We don't, nothing that we do it has neutral value to our life. One exciting thing that is happening in our life right now is that we just bought a house, which is really cool. Yep, thank you, you can clap, but buying a house in 2023 is literally probably the worst thing you can do. So we're walking that out right now as we have to replace the roof and the HVAC system on our new house. But here we are, 
Anyways, most of you know, a little over a year ago, my husband and I, we moved here from Michigan. We lived with some friends up in Worthington when we first moved down here. We thought we will just live with them for like a month. We sold our house in Michigan. We were like, well, house not where we're down here. We'll buy something. It'll be great. It was not great. We, the rental, or the housing market was, it feels different now, but when we first moved down here, it felt crazy. We were putting offers on houses, so much money over asking that I'm embarrassed to tell you about it and still not getting them. Going to see houses and finding out they were sold before anyone had even stepped foot inside the house. It was wild. And this whole time I just kept thinking, what, what are we gonna do? Like we were, we, we had an end date for when we had to be out of our friend's house in Worthington. They were having another kid. And so we were increasingly getting more and more stressed as the weeks went on and we weren't finding anything. And so one day I was at a park with my kids and I met another mom. We were just chatting. I was telling her about how we had just moved here. We were looking for a house. And she said to me, my husband and I have a rental house. We, our renters just moved out. I haven't put it on the market yet. Why don't you guys just live there month to month while you search for a house? And it was five minutes from Grandview. It was right in our budget. And so what do you think I said to her? I said, no thanks, we're gonna buy a house. I'm not, I'm not going backwards, I'm not renting again. We owned a house in Michigan. We're past that stage of our life. Adam and I at this point, we just celebrated our 10 year wedding anniversary. We had this house when we move into the house we just bought. We will have lived in 10 houses in 10 years. So I basically am done moving is what I'm saying to you all and what I was saying to the Lord in this moment. Like we moved to Columbus find me a house so I can unpack my stuff and die in this house. Like I'm never, I'm not moving again. I was looking at this situation with worldly wisdom, right? I still believed that I deserved to buy something. I didn't want to mess around with living out of boxes, unpacking our stuff, moving twice. Half our stuff was in a storage unit. Half our stuff was at our friend's house. It was, yeah. So I wanted to believe that the things that the world said are important, were what I, I could cling on to, right? The Lord said, you are married and have kids and you deserve to own a house. But none of these things were, are promised to me as a believer, right? And so another week goes by, we still haven't had anything, and I realize, oh, maybe this woman and this house were actually like a gift from the Lord that were exactly what we needed in this minute in our life. So, and I was actually being selfish and trying to fit God into what I wanted instead of accepting what he's handing me, which is exactly what I need at that moment. So I texted her and I said, hey, do you still have that house? And she said, yes, she had yet to get around to listing it miraculously. So the Lord was like, hey, I'm still going to give you this, even though you were selfish and didn't accept it the first time. So we moved in to this house thinking that we would be there like a month or two months while we search for a house to buy. And by the time we move out next month, actually in about two weeks to the house that we bought, we will have ended up living there for 15 months. Yeah. So I could tell you a thousand stories about the wisdom that the Lord taught me over this past year and a half that we've lived in this house and searched for a permanent house, how to be content in a situation that wasn't what I wanted hospitality in less than ideal situations, which I'm here to tell you if you are in a rental or the world's smallest townhouse or it does not give you an exception to hospitality, like you are still called to open your house and to live in your space with other people. A big one that I had to learn was coming to terms with what I think I need, what the world tells me I need versus what Jesus tells me that I need. 
at the end of the day, this whole ordeal was shaping my character and how I responded either brought peace and wholeness into our home and our life or it brought disorder. Just like James says, because in all reality, our housing situation was never actually about a house. It was never about where we were gonna live. The Lord has been faithful to Adam and I in every season and every place we've lived. I could tell you, we've lived in 10 houses. I could tell you 10 stories about how the Lord has provided for us housing when we needed it, when it felt impossible. I mean, we lived in California on a youth pastor's salary. We should have been homeless. But we were not because the Lord was faithful. But these circumstances allowed me the chance to learn this true wisdom that James is talking about and to bear fruit, even when I didn't want to. And thankfully, I have a husband who listened to me complain endlessly about the rental and how it wasn't what I wanted. And he was kind and able to point me back to the Lord in that. Because on my worst days, I was filled with the bitter jealousy and selfishness that James talks about, right? I was stuck in this worldly wisdom where I saw other people getting houses and us living in our dumb rental. And my heart wouldn't be in a good place. I would forget that this lesson that I have learned so many times, and I will apparently have to probably learn so many more times, is that wisdom leads to contentment and contentment leads to peace. And there were lots of days where I did not feel peaceful over the past year because I was, I was robbing myself of peace in a great house that the Lord provided for us because I refused to look at our situation through godly wisdom. Sadly, though, sometimes those are just the paths of least resistance, right? You're, when you're not actively working to shape your character to be more like Jesus, you're always going to default to those negative patterns that produce disorder. Hear me say this. Wisdom and contentment are hard work, and you don't get there by accident. I think, in studying this, there are two ways that the Lord kind of brought to me about how we can get wisdom, which leads to contentment, leads to peace. Two ways that we can acquire godly wisdom. The first is surround ourselves with people who are wise and understanding. It doesn't feel too crazy. Proverbs 12, 26 says, the righteous person is cautious in his friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Hear me when I say this. I'm definitely not saying you can't be friends or in relationship with people who don't love Jesus and aren't pursuing a life of godly wisdom, but know that you are who you surround yourself with. And if church is the only time that you're getting godly wisdom in your life, it's going to be really hard for you to become a person of peace and mercy who sees the world through godly wisdom. If I'm already doing a hard thing, for example, like trying to steward my money really well so that I have extra to give to a certain capital campaign that my church is, is doing currently, then it doesn't make sense for me to spend a lot of time with people who are spending their money on things that don't have any kingdom value and are going to make me question whether or not my sacrifices and stewarding my money, the way the Bible calls me to, is really worth it. Because you know what's easier than living on a super tight budget so that you can help your church buy a building? Spending your money in literally any other way. Brunch, new hokas, vacation, a nicer car, even though the one you already have works great. Uh, new clothes that you don't actually need that were probably made in a questionable factory, a new iPhone, 
this one's for me, a little treat every time you leave the house because you left the house, so you deserve a little treat. <laughs> when you surround yourself with people who are speaking truth into your life and valuing kingdom work, it feels a lot less like you're swimming upstream. And hard things become a little less hard when they are, the burden is shared in community. This is why we have core groups, right? This is why we have groups of people who live their life together so that they can set goals, have accountability, pursue kingdom things here on earth when the world and worldly wisdom would tell them these things are not worth your time. These things are not worth your money. These things are not worth your effort. Focus on these things that are easy and attainable and right here in front of you and will bring you momentary happiness and a hit of dopamine. We can do better than this. And this is what James is telling us, right? You want people in your life who will cheer you on while you develop your character and become more like Jesus and you develop this godly wisdom and who can point you towards it. You don't have to hang out only with people who are great at this. I don't know anyone who is great at this all the time. But if you're working on it together, it makes it just a little bit easier. So surround yourself with people who are pursuing godly wisdom. The second thing you can do is you can do the hard work to become a person who is wise and understanding. We all want to be wise, but no one actually wants to do the work to become wise because it's actually really hard. I mean, I want people to think that I'm wise. I want you to ask my opinion on things, but I don't want to do the work always to become that person who has earned that space because I have spent time in the word and spent time with the Lord and, and focused on these things that matter. Um, verse 17 in our passage today says that wisdom from above is first pure. Purity can be a tricky word in Christian culture because a lot of us came out of, if we were raised in the church, a purity culture mindset that can be at times uh, great and at other times pretty unhelpful. So I think sometimes we want to throw that all out together instead of taking the time to sift through and say, oh, there, there's good stuff in here. So my mom, as she was raising us in this, used to always talk about this verse in Philippians that talked about purity and setting your mind on things that were pure and setting your mind on things above. And it used to drive me insane. She would, she would say to us as teenagers, she would quote this verse to us, and I just felt like, Mom, you don't know. Like, you don't understand like, what it's like and all these, all these like, classic teenager things. But then I was sitting at Movement Church two weeks ago, and Mark Artrip quoted the whole passage. So she would just quote us this one verse, and he quoted this whole passage around it. And he was preaching about wisdom, and I felt like it all made so much more sense to me. So I'm going to read you guys this passage. It's um, Philippians 4. This is verses 7 through 9. So my mom used to tell us verse 8, but then I want us to also focus on 7 and 9. So it says, um, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And what you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do these things. And the peace of God will be with you. So it's like a cool, it's like a peace sandwich, right? He's saying like, hey, this peace comes and allows you to do these things, which allows you to live in more peace. Basically, Paul's saying, you want to be wise? You want to have peace? It starts with going into your brain. And now, as a 32-year-old woman, I finally realized that my mom was not saying these things to tell me, she wasn't telling me to think about respectable and pure things just to limit me, put up unnecessary rules. She was trying to teach me that a fruitful, peaceful, and merciful life comes out of what you spend your time thinking about. 
Adam talked about this last week. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we put into our brains and our hearts is what will come out when we open our mouths. And I think about this all the time. You know, our inner life, we can keep it so secret and so hidden, but when you open your mouth, it will come out. We, you can't hide it. And it's hard work to remain pure. It's hard work to only put good things into your brain and into your heart, right? It means saying no to a lot of things that the world wants you to say yes to. And I don't always do well at this, and it can look different for everyone. There's grace upon grace as we're trying to figure this out, right, and navigate this in a tricky world. I have kids, and you better believe I put an impossibly tight leash on what goes into their brains, but sometimes I forget to monitor my own brain, which causes me to be bitter. It causes me to be jealous. It caused me to be unable to live in the peace that Jesus offers. And the more I thought about this and studied this, I just kept thinking, man, I am just not sure any book, movie, show, music, any of it is worth that peace. You know, and this, like I said, this is going to look different for everyone. We all have different levels of conviction. We all, the Lord speaks to us about different things. But just something to think about that I maybe hadn't spent enough, spent enough time thinking about recently, and sometimes it takes a pastor quoting a verse that your mom used to tell you as a teenager to kind of bring you back to that. So as we close, um, I want to bring it back to our old friend, Matthew. I think we've learned over the past few years that all roads lead back to the Gospel of Matthew. I think it's important for us to remember who Jesus says is blessed. So I want to read you guys just a little snippet of this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about who is blessed in the world. We're going to start in chapter 5, verse 3. And it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. You want to have peace and produce good fruit? James is telling us that that only comes out of a desire to have godly wisdom in your life and to fight against the easy path that worldly wisdom would have us walk. True peace and blessing comes when we're living pretty much the opposite of how the world says we should live and valuing also pretty much exactly the opposite of what the world says we should value. This is the life that I want to be known for. You know, like James says in the last, in verse 18, he says, uh, you want to plant fruit of peace, the fruits of peace and righteousness. I want that to grow in my life, you know? I want to do the things. I want to till the soil. I want to put in the effort to grow this fruit in my life. And I hope you guys do too. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to turn it over to Trey for some cool stuff. Um, so join me. We pray. Jesus, thanks so much for Sundays. Thanks for church. Thanks for community. Just pray over this group of people that you would just let us know how much you love us, that you would continue to encourage us to take the hard path versus the easy one, that you would give us just an unquenchable desire to want to know your wisdom and to see the world as you see it. Help us to value what you value, to value people and kingdom work over treasure and material goods. Um, when we mess up with this, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be convicted and seek your forgiveness and try to do better next time. Pray that if there's anyone here that wants this community and wants to know how to live more in this, live with people who are also trying to become wise and understanding that you would give them the courage to reach out and to ask about how they can, they can make that more a part of their life, Lord. We pray as we leave this space today that you would continue to have these 
words, be on our minds and on our hearts. Keep refining us, Jesus, to be more like you. Thank you for giving us paths to get back to you and your plan for us and help us to redeem these fractured parts of us into a whole self that honors and glorifies you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.